I don't always remember it as a memory. I associate it with a smell. It's like a certain herb or the smell of incense. It's very Lunar New Year to me. That makes me happy. And every time I think about like the family sitting down eating dinner together or me and my mom making spring rolls together, it makes me feel very emotional. Hello and welcome to Getting Pacific, where we get specific on trending topics straight from the newsroom at Taiwan Plus. I'm Trevor Tortomasi. And I'm Joey Chow. And for this episode of Getting Pacific, we're going to talk about the biggest festival for East Asian diaspora all around the world, the Lunar New Year. Yeah, that's right. So, Joey, you got some uh, experience with this holiday? Oh, yeah. Uh, since I was born in Taiwan and my grandparents were from China, I've got a ton of stories about some of the folklore and traditions that I grew up with. And together, we can explore why it's celebrated, how it's celebrated, and we'll hear from people from a bunch of different countries around Asia, including some colleagues in the Taiwan Plus newsroom, about their own family traditions when it comes to the Lunar New Year. So, uh, first, this Lunar New Year, when when is it? Well, as the name somewhat subtly suggests, I guess the Lunar New Year happens according to the lunar calendar, which begins its new year every year around the end of January or the beginning of February. So when the Lunar New Year rolls around, people try their best to go home, which is traditionally to parents or grandparents' house on their father's side, or uh, whichever home is big enough to hold a reunion of extended family. Uh, I talked to a lot of people who said they go to their mom's side too. Sometimes they switch off. So uh, the main point is that they go for a huge dinner on the final evening of the lunar year. Oh yeah, and some keep on having these feasts uh, for the first few days of the Lunar New Year break. Leftovers. Yes, leftovers. Sometimes it's the best food. Pizza is not the only leftover that tastes delicious the day after. Uh, and everywhere you see Lunar New Year celebrations, you may notice that aside from family and togetherness, the biggest recurring theme is food. And lots of food is also meant to symbolize great fortune, prosperity, and long life for the family. Seriously, there's tons of symbolism and all kinds of different foods. So, for example, front and center of the Lunar New Year celebration is the fish dish. So, yu is fish, and it sounds like to have surplus, so it symbolizes abundance. And then uh, chicken resembles the Taiwanese Hokkien word for family. There's also chives, which sounds mm -hmm. like long time or long fortune, more like long stinky breath, am I right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, on a list of things that you're not supposed to have before going out out on a date. Usually it's garlic and chives is certainly the one for the Asian culture. And also for my family, we eat a lot of dumplings because dumplings resemble the ancient Chinese gold ingots. Plus they're freaking delicious and fun to make with family. Oh, and fruits. Yeah, there's a ton of fruits. So orange sounds like luck. Again, I found this in research. What What is that word that sounds like luck? Uh, ji, but then again, orange actually is ju, so there's a bit of a difference. Ji is luck, ju is orange but it sounds very similar. Yeah, I throw an oranges at the wall and see what sticks. A lot of these are like close rhymes and slant rhymes, yeah. but uh, it's all for the symbolism. Uh, apple sounds like peace, mm -hmm. and then pineapple sounds like uh, prosperity coming. Uh, oh, there's also uh, mustard greens, uh, literally translates to long life vegetable. There's also uh, niangao, that's rice cake. It sounds like each year is higher than the last, so you're improving on your prosperity, but also the word year, nian, is the same sound as 
just a word for sticky. And there's so many to talk about, but uh, one of the most important ones also is hot pot. So what better way to bring a family together than to cook in the same big old pot and keep each other warm in the years, early months to symbolize togetherness of the holiday. Yeah, there's no play on word. There's no pun with the hot pot, but it's just the fact that everyone is sharing the same pot, having a feast together. Uh, although it's not great for, say, uh, you know, flu season, oh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hear from some other people while we're on the topic of awesome food. Let's start with Leslie Liao, a Taiwanese American. I asked him, what are some of the foods your family makes for Lunar New Year? Oh, man. How much time you got? It's always down-home traditional Taiwanese, man. But one of some of the big, big things on my dad's side is uh, we'd have sesame rice wine chicken, mayoji, and then we'd also have the mullet roe, uyuzi. And my dad's side is also adheres to very traditional Taiwanese Taoist religion. And during these big times, you always have what they call the three sacrifices, which are staples of the gods, the fish, the pork, and the chicken. So those would always feature on the Lunar New Year. You always have some kind of soup. You always have some kind of hearty pork. Taiwanese sausages, really, you name it, nothing's off the table. We don't even think about it. It's just like, it's part of the religion. You got to have those three. The fish is as much a part of the family that it is. You know, part of the meal. Yeah, you can hear me laughing in the background there, but he was he was spot on. That I, I felt the feels in that one. And we also heard from Alison Nguyen, a Vietnamese woman living in Taiwan. Actually, I think if I were to list everything out, it would take me a whole day. But the basic spread, you would have your poultry. That's like chicken and stuff. A little bit of beef or pork depends on you. A soup, some vegetables, and can't forget the spring rolls. So that spread... We do one in the evening, we do one the next morning. And sometimes leftover tastes better the next day. Yeah, like we said, leftovers are awesome, uh, especially if you've celebrated, you know, Thanksgiving, especially in the US, uh, you know that that can be about food too. And, and hey, we, we're not mad at leftovers. We're also noticing a pattern here across different cultures. Uh, whenever you ask what kind of food there is at Lunar New Year, there's so much of it that people almost don't know where to start. So uh, let's hear from Ivan Yu, who hails from Malaysia about a unique food tradition from his country. I can introduce one special food because the food is a uh, different colors, vegetable, raw salmon, and put inside a, a plate, big plate, and we will put all the vegetable into the plate and we use the chopstick and missing it. When we missing it, we were yelling, Kong si fa zai, heng a ong a huat la. It's for prosperity for um, good luck for next year. Yeah, for coming year la. Yeah, I've actually seen this. I had the amazing privilege to uh, celebrate and do this with a Malaysian family at Lunar New Year. Basically, you put all these vegetables, like he said, the food, there's so many different colors. You put them all in this giant, giant, giant plate. Like I'm talking about like pizza pie plate. And then everyone gets their chopsticks and you all just mix it and throw the food all around and it gets everywhere and then you eat it. Wow. And is there any sauce on it? There's some of everything in there, I think. Oh, well, that's very interesting. We also heard from Isu from South Korea. Oh, definitely we eat tteokguk, which is rice cake soup and it is very very iconic and Koreans think that you have to try that soup otherwise you cannot get one more year. When we think about Sarna, you cannot miss tteokguk. This rice cake soup has a main dish and japchae, kalbijim, this kind of dirt. We pair with a lot of side dishes. 
And across the Taiwan Strait over in China, we heard from Sophia Yang. I don't know if this is like a northern Chinese tradition, but what we do is I remember my grandma, she would soak um, all these coins that we have. So you have like the $1 coin and then the 50 cents coin. You would soak them in alcohol uh, for up to, you know, three, four days beforehand. So you would disinfect them, get all the germs out. And then we would have various different fillings of dumplings. There would be some veggie options. One of my aunts is vegetarian. There would be like a pork and celery option. There'd be a shrimp, chive and egg option. And then a beef one. And what my grandma does is she basically puts different amount of coins in the dumplings. And we play a game where everyone kind of, you know, eats as many dumplings as they can. And whoever has the most coins in terms of how much money it tallies up wins. So that's the best memory I have food wise. Yeah, so Lunar New Year, a lot of it is about wishing people prosperity and wishing uh, more wealth for the family. For me, I have two sets of uh, grandmothers who are from both northern and southern China. Northern northern Chinese tend to eat a lot of dumplings, so she would make a lot of dumplings because they look like gold ingots. Uh, but the southern Chinese uh, grandma, she would make spring rolls because when you fry those things, they look like gold bars. <laughs> so it's all about having more wealth. All right, well, money, money, money. And on that topic, uh, let's hear from Eric Tai, who seems to agree with what you just said about who eats what, depending on where they're from. So for Lunar New Year, um, our family, we eat the typical foods that most people talk about. You got your fish, you got your, your vegetables and stuff like that. Um, like tangy and Thai, longevity, rice, no vegetable and all that. But one of the things that I think stands out in our family compared to some families is that one of the most commonly talked about uh, Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year dish is the dumpling. And that's missing. That's always missing in our family meal. It, it might appear later on, the, like, but the, the main meal, the New Year's Eve meal, it's missing missing largely because our family is more from a Hokkien background um, and so we don't eat dumplings because dumplings is a tradition that's more passed from northern China um, like jiaozi and things like that so our family I don't know if it's out of tradition out of whatever it may be you know maybe my grandparents didn't weren't able to acquire such foods growing up um, and so that's always been missing from our dinner I had a friend of mine who who had a photo of like a 1NT put in their dumpling and then if you get the one with the 1NT that means you're you're like the lucky one sort of thing obviously that's a hazard because you know you bite that thing down you might crack your teeth and you're gonna have a really bad new year yeah. but some families would replace it with a peanut and then so you're you all oh, you're eating it oh my god there's a peanut in there oh my god like i got the one sort of thing so that was the, the specialty so like Eric just said, uh, a lot of uh, literary symbolisms is also the visual ones, depending on which part of China or which part of the East Asian diaspora you are from, uh, you might enjoy different popular dishes. Asian people are very concerned with wealth because, hey, if you're going to celebrate New Year's, why not wish for wealth and prosperity? Uh, in the Chinese Taoist belief, there is a god of land and a god of money. So one watches over your property and blesses the people on it. The other watches over your savings and blesses your family with fortune if you worship him and lay out some candy before he travels to the high heavens during Lunar New Year. So he says sweet things about you in his audit of the mortal realm. So the reason we say gong xi fa cai to everyone we meet during Lunar New Year is because it literally means congratulations for having wealth. Usually it's those with higher income that give out red envelopes filled with money to those who make less because it's a sign of wealth for those who have it and it's a support system for those who don't. Side note, when it comes to red envelope, always give 
even numbers, except for number four, because it sounds like death. So two, six, eight hundreds or thousands. One, three, five, sevens are reserved for white envelopes, which are given out at funerals. So don't mix it up. The number seven is not considered lucky in Asian culture. Nine is passable, even though it is an odd number because it sounds like long and it's associated with longevity. Another major taboo being the fish, which we mentioned at the dinner table because it symbolizes abundance and surplus. You do not want to eat the other side and turn it over in the evening of the Lunar New Year, so you do so the next day. But then again, some families are less traditional and more hungry, so it's different everywhere. Wow. So I did not know all the stuff about the numbers for red envelopes. Like I've been to a wedding before and I'm almost sure I gave the wrong (laughs) number of money. So I hope the money was more important than the symbolism there for once. But uh, (laughs) among all the the history and outside the food, that one tradition uh, still holds strong. The exchange of red envelopes among family members and sometimes even close friends. Uh, And one time I got a red envelope from the government. So there's that. And who gets these red envelopes? Well, let's hear from our guests again, this time starting with the Vietnamese perspective from Allison. In my family, if you're not married, you still get red envelopes. Yeah, older giving to younger, mostly parents, grandparents, or your parents' friends giving to their kids. It's more like a trade-off. You give my kids hong bao, I give your kid hong bao. And then from Ivan in Malaysia. I will get the envelope because I'm single. We call ang bao. Yeah, so I'm not yet married, so I still can get the envelope. So he's kind of the same as Allison too, and you'll see that in a lot of places, if you're young or if you're single, you get the red envelopes because it's like kind of ushering you on your way to adulthood and prosperity. And then once you are married and you have a family, uh, then you make more money and then, okay, now it's your time to give up those red envelopes. So how much money is in these things anyway? Let's go back to our Taiwanese American friend, Leslie. I haven't gotten the red envelope. Oh, I want to say maybe a good decade or so, but I used to rake it in, man, because my grandmother was very generous, but when I lived in New York, we had a big community of Taiwanese people who would get together for the Lunar New Year because they wouldn't be able to be with the extended family in Taiwan. So everybody would get together and hang out. And this is a huge gathering of like 40 or 50 of my mom and dad's friends. So I remember as like <laughs> maybe a 10-year-old, I was getting amounts of money that at this age, I realized no 10-year-old should be getting that amount of money. And and these this is like $100 bills and $2,000, which is... You know, like maybe two thousand dollars now in twenty twenty three money. Again, every time I spoke to Leslie, you can hear me laughing in the background. So, so are they always filled with money? Traditionally, yes, but let's hear from Sue from South Korea. We don't put money in the red envelope. Mostly, children they bring their cute pouch that they can put their pocket money and then we bow to the elders and then they just give cash to every child and then put inside their own pocket and uh, back to sophia from china you know how um all chinese kids have like a pet name right you have like your chinese name and you have like your pet name and your pet name is usually like two words repeated so it's like tt Tong Tong. So mine's Tong Tong. And it's Er Tong the Tong, which means like youth. I was the youngest one in my family of all cousins for a long time until my sister was born. So I feel like because I have that identity, no one ever wants me to give them red envelopes. No one ever accepts money from me because they're always like, you're the baby of the family. Um, We can't take money from the baby. However, for my sister, because we both live in Canada, um, I always give her red envelope and I usually give her $100. She's very ecstatic about it. I don't always tell my parents because my sister probably just ends up buying bubble tea with that. (laughs) 
And finally, once again, Eric from Taiwan. Uh, with red envelopes, not every family has their different starting times of giving red envelopes. Our family is when you start working. And, you know, the amount of money also depends on your economic status. So in order to kind of take the ceremony and turn to something that I think has a lot more meaning, I started putting the minimal amount of money in a red envelope because empty red envelope is, is also bad luck. And I will write a note to each of my family members. Our family doesn't really give like birthday cards throughout. Um, and so I take that as an opportunity to do that. And each one, I try to write something with meaning. I think that's awesome. So like keeping in the family tradition, but also kind of tweaking it a little bit to make sure everyone feels nice, uh, not just with money, but uh, being, you know, showing some love around the family. Yeah, it's always nice to get a red envelope with a sweet message on it that has to do with the occasion. Uh, and by the way, I just want to mention that, uh, yes, a lot of red envelopes are given from the elders to the younglings in the house. But say if the kids are too young, then the parents tend to just, you know, take them. And what they usually say is, uh, keep it for you for when you turn 18. And then do they really? No, it just disappears, of course. <laughs> uh, but I have to say the red envelope tradition is kind of like the oldest form of economic stimulus checks. It increases everybody's purchasing power and the money you give away doesn't just disappear. It moves around your social circle and always comes back to you in one form or another. There's an old Chinese saying, li shang wang lai, which basically means reciprocity, but it also implies that relationships, it's about constant giving and receiving. I give red envelopes to your children, you give them to mine, I treat you to a meal, you treat me to one. And through this constant exchange, we keep Keep having interactions. Though being Asian, we do keep a tally of the math in our heads. Or at least my father definitely does. For example, one of my uncles has three kids, so my dad has to give three red envelopes to that family. I am, on the other hand, an only child, so if my uncle doesn't pack a little more cash in that sucker, oh, I will definitely hear from my dad complain about it after everyone's gone home after dinner. Now, the same goes for the red envelopes at weddings, which are meant to be sort of a crowdfunding for the new couple to either go on a honeymoon, buy a new house, or start a business. You know, some money to get this new family going, but it doesn't mean you don't have to give that money back. You're supposed to keep a booklet of how much each guest gave you, and when they get married or when their children get married, you should give back the same amount or more, but never less. Now, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, yeah. I mean, I guess in Western cultures, at least in my experience, we have a lot of, you know, whenever you have a wedding, you have a wedding registry thing that, you know, people can like see what gifts you want, but basically you're just getting them like, you know, new plates and bagel cutters and you're not really like giving them traditional red envelopes. Um, so I like the uh, the tradition and how you can, the, all the different shapes it comes in. Yeah, so now that we've explored the traditions around Lunar New Year, let's look into a bit of the background of Lunar New Year. Uh, some may also call it Chinese New Year or Spring Festival. Over the last decade, we have mostly stopped calling it Chinese New Year to keep people from thinking that it's a cultural practice strictly associated with people in China because, in fact, it's a celebration observed by various East Asian communities around the world. As for the other name, Spring Festival, while the celebration is usually in late January or early February, it's not spring per se, but 
it would be the start of spring on the lunar calendar, which is why many have stuck to calling it Lunar New Year. Yeah, and even though we don't always call it Chinese New Year, it can't be uh, forgotten that China is obviously the biggest country, the most populated country, uh, celebrating this holiday. If you've ever seen the documentary Last Train Home, I recommend it. It's fascinating because Lunar New Year, at least according to Wikipedia, it's the world's largest human migration every single year because there's just such an incredible amount of people going home to see their families and stuff, especially in China. But also, East Asia definitely isn't the only region with cultural history closely tied to the moon. Some Western holidays still abide by lunar-based schedules. For example, the Christian holiday Easter, maybe you've heard of it, is celebrated on the first Sunday after the full moon that occurs on or after the spring equinox. Uh, I read that sentence and almost immediately forgot what I said because it is complicated. <laughs> but uh, if the full moon falls on a Sunday, then Easter is the next Sunday. Uh, you can look up the, uh, the mathematical formula. Um, also in India, the festival of Diwali, also called Deepavali in certain regions, is celebrated according to the lunar solar calendar, and that usually falls between September and November. Also, Judaism has its own lunar solar calendar with multiple versions of lunar new year observances. So obviously the use of Earth's only moon and its appearance as a marker for calendars is nothing new, and it's easy to see how big, giant, shiny things in the sky can become a basis for holidays. <laughs> yeah, and there are a lot of giant shiny things in the sky. Stars, for example. Ancient Babylonian observed 12 constellations in the sky, invented the Western zodiac signs, and the Greek told stories about them, while the ancient Chinese designed the lunar solar calendar, which was a very useful system for agriculture, assigned 12 animals to each year, and the Han Dynasty sort of formalized it, which was about 2200 years ago. Now, growing up, I heard stories about the Jade Emperor, the supreme deity in in Taoist cosmology and is also the ruler of heaven who held the race and invited all the animals to participate. The first 12 to cross the finish line would be assigned a year in the zodiac cycle. Somehow the mouse arrived first because according to my grandma, it rode on the back of the ox, while the ox was second, followed by the tiger, the rabbit, the dragon, and so on. As a kid, I never questioned how an ox possibly ran faster than a tiger, a rabbit, or even a dragon, but that's how the story goes. And we're about to enter the year of the dragon, which is considered to be an auspicious year. A lot of people want their kids born in the year of the dragon. In fact, we might talk about that in the next episode. My wife, for example, is a dragon. Ah, crap. Did I just give away her age? Oh, well, she could be 12 years older or younger, depending on, I guess, the cycle. So I guess <laughs> I not. Um, also, uh, looking at all these roots in the tradition, what are some of the things that people still do today? Let's hear from Sue, South Korea. My family is very traditional. So in the morning of the Seolnal, which is Korean Lunar New Year, we do some bye-bye. But in Korean, we say "chesa." We prepare food for ancestor and for every family member, they bow in front of the food. We take turn. So it takes like one hour. So it is way more complicated and more traditional than Taiwanese bye-bye. And then after that, we share the food together and then we play games and then spend time with the family. So Sue lives in Taiwan now. That's why she used the Mandarin word bye bye. But uh, Joey, what does bye bye mean? Uh, it means to worship and bye literally means to bend yourself. Oh, OK. Yeah. The Chinese character sort of looks like bending over. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah so uh, let's hear from Allison about what her family does in Vietnam. 
a very near and dear tradition that I really like is that we would gather because we have this special like rice made from rice cake called bánh chưng that we would meet like one week before Lunar New Year to make them from scratch and the process takes like 18 hours but it was very fun very warm everybody was like gathered around in a big pot and then finally we have this really interesting tradition from Ivan in Malaysia the girl single girl will write the information on the mandarin's orange maybe their names their uh, contact number or their address after that they will throw inside the river and throw inside a lake so the single boy will go and get it and the boy will follow the information on the mandarin orange to find the girl yeah oh. maybe he can become a friend or become a couple like that because now they a bit dangerous do like that so <laughs> so for us they will create uh, activities for writing their ig number throw into the lake and the boy will go and catch it yeah just understandable why you wouldn't put your address on it now but that's a fun way to get instagram followers i guess I, i'm not mad at that yeah that's the oldest form of tinder i suppose right <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i just want to add that lunar new year at least for the chinese tradition of lunar new year every day there's something to do uh, so starting from the evening it's sort of like christmas eve right you always get around for a big family dinner but on christmas day or lunar new year day uh, there's something to do the second day there's something to do so by tradition there's something to do every single day leading all the way up to january 15th of the lunar calendar is what we called lantern festival and much like the malaysian tradition that is a chance for single people to come out and meet at the temples and hopefully find their their mates. Uh -huh. Yeah, take this money, hope you get rich, and get married. <laughs> <laughs> it's money to go on a date with, right? Yeah, exactly. It's very convenient. Yeah, so uh, no matter if you're from Taiwan, if you're from over in China, Vietnam, South Korea, uh, Malaysia, or Singapore, or any other country, however you celebrate, the holiday is up to you and your family. Uh, and even if you are from a non-Asian background like me, but are surrounded by the culture, feel free to celebrate it. Pay some respect, uh, give your friends some red envelopes and uh, enjoy the food because it's awesome. Yeah. Just make sure you avoid odd numbers, like we said. Yes. That about wraps it up with our conversation regarding Lunar New Year today. Um, first up, I should probably say, Gong Si Fa Tai Xing Nian Kuai Le. And uh, how do you celebrate Lunar New Year where you are? You know, let us know. I'm Joey Chow and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook with Joey Taipei. And I'm Trevor Tordomasi, and you can find me on all social media platforms at Trebotsky. If you want more news and views from Taiwan and around the world, head on over to TaiwanPlus.com or find Taiwan Plus News on YouTube, IG, or Twitter. Join us again on Getting Pacific, and until next time, Happy Lunar New Year. <laughs>